Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums... Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. All right. Hello, 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 and welcome back to uh, this week's episode of Rossafari Zoo News, your look at all the newsworthy things in the world of conservation, zoos, aquariums, animals, and crazy people. That's right crazy people. Um, and no, I'm not talking about any new updates on any of the former Tiger King people, but uh, I'm talking about my life, though I'm not talking about me, though admittedly some of you would disagree with that. Um, okay, so we are in another week of my videos of drumming with Emily just continuing to be a viral sensation. It's really crazy. Uh, as I record this uh, episode on Wednesday, uh, I'm still getting over a million views every single day and comments and followers and all that kind of stuff. And um, y'all, it finally happened. You know, there is a fairly famous saying that says it is better to be rich and famous than just famous. And it is better to be just rich than to be rich and famous. And uh, I'm none of those things, for, for the record, but I'm now starting to see a little bit exactly what that means because, yeah, I had my first ever um, crazy internet stalker experience, which has been thrilling for me. So throughout this whole process of getting, you know, millions and millions of, of views and, and likes and comments, there have been plenty of people that have, you know, put rude or mean comments and and some were a little aggressive and I've blocked those and others like whatever. Honestly, there are so many now that it's impossible for me to even try to police it all. So, you know, whatever is up there is up there. Um, and I've had a, a small percentage of those people send me uh, direct messages on, on Insta or TikTok or whatever. And, you know, I guess partially this is my fault. I, I, have this podcast for a reason. And, and I truly believe that one of the good things that I do in this world is, you know, share the good stuff that good accredited zoos do uh, with people who think that all zoos are bad and I can be an outsider. So when these conversations start and people say, well, you just, you're just a zookeeper and you make your living off of it. So of course you can't admit that it's evil. I'm like, oh no, I'm not. And yeah, we, we go from there and you know, it's the internet. Oftentimes it does not work, but I have actually had some really good, really fruitful conversations with people. I think I might have helped change some minds, and even the ones that I haven't changed, you know, at least we had a nice conversation. I, I do believe in the power of good dialogue. Uh, so I, I got a message. And it was from one of these people. And um, I'm not going to pull up the actual thread or anything. Uh, I had to block them. But uh, it just started off and it was basically, so what do you do to help animals other than just exploit them for internet fame? And, you know, I took a moment and I responded. I responded thoroughly. I 
posted seven things. I, I even numbered them uh, that I do um, to to help animals. You know, stuff like this podcast and explaining what it is, and my volunteer work with Red Panda Network, and uh, the the stuff that I've done to help out Penguins International, and the fundraisers that I've held for various organizations where we've raised thousands of dollars for conservation. And, um, you know, other stuff like that. Even mentioned uh, going for my master's to try to understand how to save animals better. And um, I really put a lot of thought into it. And I was like, so how about you? What do you do? You're clearly interested. And, uh, yeah, you know, there was the instant response. And it was, so you do nothing, blah, blah, blah. And just totally aggressive and rude. And it ended with, so I am giving you one more chance to tell me, how do you help animals? And I just put a couple laughy faces and blocked the dude because, you know, clearly this was no longer an attempt at a dialogue. And um, so there you go, you know. And uh, about, I don't know, five, ten minutes later, my phone rang. And it was not a number that I knew, but it was not a spam number. And it actually had a name on it. And um, I was waiting for a DoorDash or I would not have uh, have answered. I don't normally answer. But um it was the dude who was harassing me online, calling. And uh, unfortunately, I'm guessing he was using, you know, internet calling to hide his real number or something. Uh, but the connection was absolute crap. I could not make out more than a couple words here or there. Uh, at first, I literally thought it was my driver still. And I was like, hello? Oh, uh, I'm sorry. I uh, Is this my delivery driver? Um, you have bad service, but uh, you can just leave it outside. And he said something and I heard an F-bomb and something else. And I was just like, OK. And I hung up and then it kind of registered what was happening. Um, but, you know, I answered again because I, I was honestly curious. I know. I know. It's dumb. And I heard a little bit and it was like, hey, dude, your phone number online, idiot. I have your address. I can find you. And I was like, okay, okay. And I was like, yeah, well, don't, don't do that. And I hung up and he tried calling back, um, six or seven more times in the time it took me to go into my phone and block him, which does not take long. Um, but yeah. And, and some of the stuff that he said was very threatening and that he was going to show up at the house or whatever. And, um, I am deeply unconcerned. Uh, I just, I can't believe that, you know, this video has been viewed between the different videos that I have up and and the people like Questlove sharing the video. It's probably somewhere between 40 to 50 million individuals have seen it. Not just views, but individuals, because you can, you can see those stats on, on Instagram. And he's the guy. He's the one. Who decided to do that and part of me is like that's hilarious and part of me is like but also should I be nervous that he is actually crazy enough to try to do something because he's clearly crazy enough to be the one person to take it to that level um yeah I don't know so uh, I guess my point is um if I'm found dead at some point soon uh you know go go somebody go into my instagram and and find that message and you probably have found your killer um but otherwise honestly i'm not intimidated by it i'm not bothered by it uh he did say that he was going to go to all of my listeners and share that conversation to show how evil i am so um if all of you listening uh get get a message somehow showing that conversation and seeing how quote evil i am then um i assume you'll still be back here next week especially since i just told you about it but uh yeah so that's 
my crazy story for the week, and that is uh, that's probably the most newsworthy thing that's happened in my world. Honestly, uh, it's, it's just all cuckoo banana pants. But uh, with that said, let's get to the news from the rest of the world, at least like zoo wise. One, two, three, four. Ow, that's a funky monkey, tree kangaroo, or a binturong. It's zoo news. Yeah. All right, so let's start off this week by talking about the results of the election. And no, I'm not talking about uh, whether Democrats retained control of the Senate and the House or, or anything like that. I'm talking about the election of the new mayor at Connecticut's Beardsley Zoo. So if you were listening last week, you know that Beardsley Zoo uh, has a contest where you can vote for the mayor of the zoo. And I recommended that we all get together and vote for Goncarlo, a maned wolf who uh, was really lagging behind. Well, I have some good news and some bad news. The bad news is that we did not win. And in fact, the new mayor of Connecticut's Beardley Zoo is Rhubarb, the two-toed sloth. Uh, Rhubarb promises to promote life in the slow lane at the zoo. Um, But the other cool thing that I wanted to tell you, along with just the fact that there's a sloth that's a mayor of a zoo, is that when this episode dropped last week, uh, Goncarlo barely had any votes. And over the next couple of days, I like to think because of the Ross Safari surge, Goncarlo actually shot to number one in the polling by a lot. A lot of y'all showed up and voted for our favorite maned wolf. Now, apparently... Some members of the Sloth Pack and the Sloth Coalition got together and ended up pushing rhubarb over the top. But I have to tell you, it was really cool watching the results every day and seeing the impact that our little community of Rossifarians was having for Gon Carlo. So thank you all for voting and congratulations to rhubarb. I hope you have a wonderful term as mayor. Oh, and speaking of Beardsley Zoo, uh, this year they had their Centennial Gala, which was an opportunity for people to get all dressed up and go celebrate 100 years of Beardsley Zoo. And it was wildly successful. The zoo raised over $100,000 from their gala on October 29th. Uh, Almost 250 people attended, and um, it was just like a really big deal. They had a keynote speaker um, from the Bronx Zoo. They had all kinds of cool stuff, a a really neat... um, MC, who's like a celebrity on a local station up there. They made a really big deal of it, and uh, it paid off really handsomely. All of that money, of course, will go to supporting the zoo's mission of conservation, education, research, and also to improving guest experience at the zoo. So congratulations to uh, everyone at Beardsley Zoo, especially Rhubarb. And Goncarlo, we love you anyway, buddy. And while we're on the subject of voting, you can now go to usatoday.com and search for how to vote for the best zoo lights in the country. They are yet again doing their top 10 thing where you can go and vote for the best zoo lights in the country. Um, Lots of zoos are nominated and a few of them even seem to care about winning. So if you happen to like zoo lights uh, and you want to go and support your zoo, then go ahead and uh, do that. Yay, voting. Let your voice be heard. It is your zoo civic duty or something. 
And actually, we're going to keep it in New England for a second because I have not one, not two, but three stories that I want to share with y'all out of Roger Williams Park Zoo. And the first one is also a follow-up to uh, what we discussed last week, which is that voters did vote yes on question number three in Rhode Island. That means that Roger Williams Park Zoo will be getting their new Carbon Neutral Education Center. So that's really, really exciting news, and it was nice to hear that the voters did a good thing. Yay! However, I also have to announce that Johari the Cheetah has passed away at Roger Williams Park Zoo. Uh, Johari was an incredible cheetah and and one I actually got to meet. If you go and listen to my interview with Lara Isaacs from Roger Williams Park Zoo, you will hear all about Johari and even hear Johari on that episode. Um, Johari was the sassiest of the cheetahs at the zoo and really enjoyed going to the top of the rock uh, uh, in the yard there and and watching the cars on Route 95, which was really adorable. Uh, Johari got really excited about her keepers and would like jump on the fence and and try to hang out with them. So yeah, um, it's a real bummer. They uh, they knew that she had gastritis um, and had been working on it for a while. Uh, but you know, unfortunately, the disease was doing too much damage and she couldn't live a good life. Um, Johari was just a couple weeks shy of her ninth birthday uh, with a wild life expectancy of seven to ten years for cheetahs. Um, so, yeah, it's it's just a real shame. This is one of those very special animals that uh, everyone loves, and we're all going to miss Johari. But if you haven't heard that episode from Roger Williams Park Zoo yet, you could go back and, and hear just how incredible of an animal this was. But we'll end our Roger Williams Park Zoo uh, section on a happier note. Um, the vet tech at the zoo, Abby Nicolopoulos, has achieved the veterinary technician specialty in zoological medicine, also known as VTS-Zoo. Uh, this is really rare. In fact, there are 18 vet techs in the entire country that have achieved this level of expertise in the field of zoo veterinary care. Uh, this is just really cool. It means that Abby has just done a really thorough and rigorous job learning the details of taking care of, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of species in, in her care at Roger Williams Park Zoo. And um, to have even just the kind of brain that can get this certification is wildly incredible. So congratulations to Abby and honestly to the whole team at Roger Williams for fostering that kind of thing. Um, 18 in the whole country. That's that's astonishing. So again, congrats, Abby. And I'm not going to try to say your last name again. The Rosamond Gifford Zoo in Syracuse, New York, has recently announced that they have a brand new baby red panda. And now they have announced the name of said pandlet. Her name is Raji, a Hindu name for princess or shining. Um, so, yeah, this is really exciting. And Raji is uh, a panda that has a lot of really important uh, genetics going on there. It's a very good match in the species survival plan. So uh, Raji is going to grow up to be an amazing ambassador for her species, I'm sure. So welcome to the world, Raji. Yay. Oh, and speaking of naming Red Panda Cubs. You can help name the Red Panda Cub at the Trevor Zoo at Millbrook. 
This is another one of those voting fundraiser things uh, where for $2 per vote, you can vote on the following names for this male pamphlet: Bruce, Jay-Z, LeBron, Olin, or Sandy. You can vote as often as you like, and uh, every $2 donation will um, go to the zoo to help out with things, obviously. Um, so just so y'all know, a bunch of us fandas, uh, that's, that's what we call us nerdy panda fans, um, all really like the name Jay-Z. And it's not because of the hip-hop star, but it is because Jay-Z actually stands for Junior Zhu. And as you know, Zhu is the uh, male panda at the zoo, the father of potential Jay-Z. And I just think that is possibly the cutest name ever. So um, if you want to drop two bucks and you want to go have an impact for the Trevor Zoo and help name this this little pandlet, I vote Jay-Z and I hope you do too. Junior Zhu, Junior Zhu, Zhu at the zoo, Junior Zhu. All right. So we've talked a lot on here about the effects of uh, Hurricane Ian and the, the fact that the hurricane did a lot of damage to zoological facilities in Florida, even though they are recovering well. Um, and now SeaWorld has come through, specifically the SeaWorld Conservation Fund has made not one, not two, but 10 emergency grants to Florida facilities that need help recovering from Hurricane Ian. Given the fact that there's currently a tropical storm ravaging uh, Florida as well, I think this is extra helpful. But this is just another reminder that SeaWorld does incredible, incredible stuff and that they're, you know, really there to help out the community and everything. This is, this is just another great example of SeaWorld being awesome. Oh, and actually, you know, since I have a lot of new listeners, thanks to the whole drumming with elephants thing, um, if you haven't gone back even just a couple episodes and listened to the episode with Clay Carbajal, I highly recommend that you do uh, if you would like an insider's view of what happened at SeaWorld during the whole Blackfish controversy and a look at why that film is so problematic and, and not really a good representation of what SeaWorld does. If any of you new listeners listened to what I just said about SeaWorld and were like, what? SeaWorld is evil. Go check out that episode and it'll give you a much better balanced, nuanced view of what actually happened during that time from someone who was there. All right. Uh, I'm really excited about these next two stories. So first of all, our friends at Lincoln Children's Zoo have announced the birth of a Matchy's tree kangaroo, Joey. Now, the Joey was born all the way back in May, but of course, tree kangaroos are marsupials, meaning that it was basically the size of a grain of rice, and it was born but then crawled immediately into the pouch to start nursing and continuing to grow. However, now, the Joey, at 27 weeks old, actually looks like a baby tree kangaroo, and um, is starting to occasionally poke its head out of the pouch more often, though it is still nursing and not fully leaving the pouch. Um, so uh, for those of you who are as into tree kangaroos as I am, the mom is Judy and the dad is Bexley or Bex. I love Bex. Bex is adorable. And currently, Judy is the tree kangaroo that is on display most of the time. So you do have the chance to see a little Joey head popping out if you visit Lincoln Children's Zoo. However, it is an extremely rare event at this time. Um, probably within the next week or two, the Joey will occasionally start to actually come all the way out of the pouch. 
and um, you'll get from about then until 40 weeks, so roughly 12 weeks, to see in and out time before uh, we have a fully independent out of the pouch baby tree kangaroo doing the thing and being adorable. Uh, yeah. So, and if you're not following at Lincoln Children's Zoo, you should because A, they are an incredible zoo, and B, because um, they will post more pictures as well as the sex of the baby and its name when that can be determined. So, yay. And that's not the only good tree kangaroo news that I have this week. Oakvale Wildlife Park in Australia has announced the birth of a Lumholtz tree kangaroo. Now, Lumholtz tree kangaroos are one of only two tree kangaroo species that can actually be found in Australia, um, along with Bennett's. The rest are all found on the small island of Papua New Guinea. Uh, so Lumholtz tree kangaroos have been living in the wild and they struggle there a lot. Um, there's a, a great tree kangaroo rescue organization uh, in, in Australia that I want to go volunteer for at some point that takes care of these animals and tries to save them from dog attacks and collisions with cars and stuff like that. Uh, and recently they teamed up with some of the zoological facilities in Australia to start to house the species for the first time outside of just a few of the small facilities in Queensland that we're keeping them. So this tree kangaroo, named Sophus, is the first ever Lumholtz tree kangaroo born in captivity outside of a zoological facility in Queensland, and thus represents a huge, huge exciting step in this captive breeding program. Uh, this is this is a big deal, y'all. This is this is very cool to see, and and here's hoping that uh, this program continues to work and they help to save this uh, endangered species. And speaking of births of adorable species, the Potawatomi Zoo has announced that their southern Tamandua olive has recently given birth to a new Tamandua pup, also known as a Tamlet, I guess. I'm just sticking with this forever. Uh, it's the first time that uh, Tamandua has been born at the zoo, and it's also Olive's first baby. Uh, the zoo did let us all know that not only is Olive doing well, but Franklin, the father, is also doing just fine. He is just completely uninvolved with rearing the pup, so uh, he doesn't really get a lot of attention in the announcement. But um, yeah, the, the pup is doing very well. Uh, everyone seems very healthy, and congrats to the zoo on the birth of this incredibly weird and awesome species. And while we've all been enjoying watching Fritz, the baby hippo, grow up at the Cincinnati Zoo, you can now take a look at a new baby hippo at the Dallas Zoo. Everyone appears healthy, and both mom and baby are currently staying behind the scenes uh, where, uh, where things are going well. And so um, hopefully they'll be on exhibit soon, and we'll have yet another baby hippo or hiplet to follow. Two new Asian elephants have been gifted to the National Zoo from the Rotterdam Zoo, where they are both expected to breed with the zoo's male Asian elephant, Spike. The transportation from Rotterdam to D.C. went very well, and uh, it seems like the herd is going to be bonding and getting along very well from all early indications. Sadly, I have not played the drums with any of these Asian elephants yet, but... uh. Maybe someday. Now, but it's really cool. There have been some deaths at the uh, National Zoo lately with their elephants um, because of EEHV. And so it's just really cool to to see them getting a few more new elephants in and growing that herd. Uh, and hopefully we'll have some breeding success. That's important both for the propagation of the species and because I want to talk about ellets. I guess it would be ellets. <laughs> 
Anyway, a visitor to the Bronx Zoo recently decided to break into the exhibit of the Pere David deer that uh, live on the monorail exhibit. And um, fortunately, uh, the visitor did not contact any of the animals, and he was captured and taken into custody. And uh, early indication is that he has some serious emotional issues going on. Uh, But the zoo made it perfectly clear that it is wildly illegal to break into an exhibit and uh, as such plan on pressing charges. Um, This is not the first time that uh, a person with um, questionable mental stability has broken into an exhibit at the Bronx Zoo. And uh, yeah, that that they have to be strict about this or else it will continue. Um, So yeah, we're just grateful that nobody and nothing was hurt. And last but not least in the zoo news department this week, uh, you know, spoiler alert for the animal holiday section, uh, this month is November, and November is Manatee Awareness Month. And uh, one way that is being celebrated is by transporting three manatees from Zoo Tampa to the Cincinnati Zoo, where they will be rehabbed. This is one of my favorite weird little factoids about just the zoo world uh, is that, you know, a lot of the zoos in Florida have manatee rescue and rehabilitation setups because manatees are in a lot of trouble in Florida and they do a lot of the work right there. I've gotten to go to some of these facilities and see some of the manatees being rehabbed and it's always wildly inspirational and very cool. Um, but sometimes they just have too many. And when they do, uh, the, the two facilities that are the most likely to take on those orphaned manatees and to help rehab them and then send them back to Florida uh, are Columbus and Cincinnati. And I just find that hilarious because, um, I mean, they both have incredible facilities and are set up to do this. But uh, when you think manatees, you don't think Central Ohio. And and literally, those are like the only places that regularly do this. So, uh, you know, outside of Florida. So, yeah, you, you get um, just Ohio manatees. I don't know. It just cracks me up. But uh, very proud of the Cincinnati Zoo and oh, always the Columbus Zoo as well for the incredible work they do for this incredibly important, wildly endangered American species. Patrick- All right, so uh, let's talk about blue whales for a second. Uh, They're really cool. That was it. Just wanted to let y'all know that. No, no, wait, no, wait. I actually do have a conservation story about blue whales. Uh, There have been some studies done recently, and um, researchers now estimate that blue whales may each consume up to 10 million pieces of microplastics every single day. Uh, That's up to 96 pounds of microplastics every single day. That's like a child. My, my son does not weigh 96 pounds. Um, it's apparently the average weight of a 13-year-old human. Uh, so yeah. Um, microplastics are pieces of plastic that measure uh, less than 0.2 inches or 5 millimeters um, and are created as plastics break down in the ocean. And so yeah, whales just happen to be ingesting 96 pounds of this every day. This is why I get frustrated when I see people posting memes, especially people who claim to care about conservation, saying, you know, oh, why should I worry about using a reusable water bottle when there are airline companies flying jets that are empty just to keep their place on the schedule and stuff? Look, I get it. Humanity is just screwing up the planet. It's it's gross. However, 
I think it's important to look at it on the individualistic level, okay? Is using a non-reusable plastic straw going to save the planet? Nah. But if you were able to track that straw and find out that it ended up in a sea turtle's nose and caused that sea turtle damage or killed it, how would you feel? How would you feel knowing that, you know, a whale ate the plastics that you could have avoided. These are the things that I like to think about. And again, look, I am not coming down on anyone. I also struggle with single-use plastics uh, at certain times. There are certain things that I love that come in single-use plastics only, and it is a constant inner battle whether or not to, to have one of those or not to. I am not judging. I am not saying anything other than let's not push the false narrative that we can't have an impact because even if you question how much of a global impact we are having, the fact of the matter is that you can have an individual impact on an individual animal that, uh, you know, makes a big difference in whether it lives or not. So, yeah, just something to think about. Researchers have recently discovered a new owl species, and they say it is a hoot. The Principe Scops owl is an owl that is endemic to the island of Principe off the west coast of Africa, found in the Gulf of Guinea. Now, endemic, in case you don't know the word, means that it is found there and only there. And this is the crazy thing about finding new species. So this owl was initially discovered, question mark, it was kind of seen and believed to be a new thing back in 1990. It's 2022, y'all. Um, and so teams started to go out and try to search and find this owl and figure out if it was, in fact, a new species or not. And it wasn't until 2016 that they got the first actual photographic evidence of this species existing. But even then, they were not actually able to see and find one in person and do the research and do the testing to figure out if it is a new species until just recently. Uh, th those are the kind of things that just blow my mind. There has been a team working on figuring out whether or not this owl is a new owl since 1990. And now they can say, yes, yes, it is. And they might also be saying, what have I done with my life? No, I'm kidding. I, I actually think that is really awesome. Uh, yeah, but so um, now the next phase of the work begins where they have to figure out population counts and figure out if it's already endangered or if it's thriving or what, and then come up with a conservation plan should the owl need it. So still a lot of work to do, but hey, at least we now know it exists. This next story is just fascinating to me. Um, so there are wolves in parts of the Netherlands that have become very habituated to humans being in their national park space. Uh, lots of times these wolves will, you know, walk right by humans. So far, there haven't been any stories of any negative interactions or anything like that, but uh, they are quite habituated to humans. So the government in this area has come up with a plan to make sure that the wolves start acting a little less tame. They are going to shoot them with paintballs. Now, this isn't like open season, go grab your paintball gun and come shoot some wolves. This is going to be an official thing where experts do the shooting and where they use different colors and such to see which wolves have already been shot. But 
Yeah, their plan is that they're going to shoot wolves with paintballs, hopefully scaring them and making them less habituated to humans and more willing to stay away. Uh, Because the idea here is that, you know, wolves getting too close to humans can lead to things like dog deaths or human-wolf conflict, and then that makes people start to turn against the wolves. And um, then we suddenly have the same situation that we have with the Red Wolf reintroduction program in North Carolina right now, where people are are just deathly afraid of wolves for no real reason and thus fight their reintroduction. Um, so yeah, it's a really interesting approach and, uh, I'm curious to see how it goes, I guess. I, this seems weird to me, but I am not a conservation expert, so I will watch and learn what the rest of us. And last in conservation news this week, uh, we've been talking a lot about the cheetahs that were African cheetahs that have been reintroduced into India, into the habitat where Asiatic cheetahs uh, used to live. Um, And I've talked about this on here a little bit and expressed some confusion about it because, you know, in my mind, I think I mentioned on here that um, putting an African species where an Asiatic cheetah was is kind of not a reintroduction because they didn't live there. And um, my thought was even that at that point, isn't that kind of an invasive species? Well, I actually got to speak to a couple of, um, I'm not, I'm not, I can't say where, it wasn't on the record, but I spoke to a couple of experts on cheetahs and uh, they told me that the Asiatic and African cheetahs are 99.9% genetically the same and act the same and and basically are the same animal without being the same at a genetic level. And so they were all very comfortable with the idea and truly do see it as a reintroduction, which I think is very cool. And then on top of that, I'll let you know that the reintroduced African into Asia cheetahs um, have had their first meal. They actually successfully hunted for the first time. So it seems like things are going very well for the cheetahs in India. So I think that's pretty darn cool. It's time for other news. It's time for other news. Hey, no, right now, right now it's time. It's time for other news. Hey, it's a segue to the podcast. Scientists are starting to figure out why elephants hardly ever get cancer. Um, It's really interesting. So this has been a paradox for a long time, so much so that it's actually known as Pito's Paradox. It it has its own name, Uh, which is that cancer is caused by gene mutations that accumulate in cells over time. Yet long-lived animals that have lots of cells, such as elephants and whales, hardly ever get cancer. Well, in looking at elephants, we're finally starting to figure out why. Uh, There is a gene which is commonly known as P53, which helps humans and other animals repair DNA damaged during replication, uh, which obviously would help stop getting cancer. Um, Elephants have 20 copies of this gene, uh, each with two variations called alleles, which produce a total of 40 proteins. In comparison, humans and most other animals have a single copy of the gene, which produces two 
proteins. So elephants have 40 proteins trying to stop cancer while we have two of them. Um, and this is really interesting because this is something that we can start to look into to figure out, can we replicate these genes in humans? Can we replicate the effects of this? Uh, th this could be another key in the eventual um, hopeful defeat of cancer. So uh, that, that's really cool. And it, it's really awesome that we're able to understand that now and start to work towards it and hopefully use it. So last week I told you that bumblebees can count. Now, a new study shows that they also like to play. Uh, when given the chance, bumblebees will fool around with toys. Um, there were some researchers that set up this container that allowed bees to leave their nest and go to a feeding area. But along the way, the bees could opt to pass through a separate section with a uh, bunch of toys like wooden balls in there. Um, the bees would constantly go out of their way to roll wooden balls repeatedly, uh, despite there being no incentive to, and also it actually distracting them from getting food. So the idea here is that apparently bees like to play. And if so, that means that insect minds are definitely more sophisticated than we currently believe. Um, and it also might mean that bees feel feelings in the way that we do because literally there was no reason for them to go play with the balls other than having fun. And yeah, so we might have um, just a way more complex uh, species in bees than we understand, despite the fact that we already understand that they are complex and also wildly important. And last but not least, uh, research shows that female octopodes may actually throw seashells at male octopodes when they are annoyed by them or when they are trying to reject uh, mating advances. So female octopodes are basically annoyed at the dudes in their lives. So I feel like every female listening to this right now can relate. And I feel like at least a few of you are currently thinking, hmm, maybe we should take a trip to the beach soon. Oh, animal, oh, animal, animal holidays, animal, oh, animal, animal holidays, hey! All right, so a friendly reminder, as I already said, that November is Manatee Awareness Month, and we are currently, as this drops, at the end of Polar Bear Week and Orangutan Caring Week. Um, and then as far as individual days this week, uh, we really only have one. The 14th is the International Day of Zoo and Aquarium Educators. And then there is nothing until we get all the way to the 21st. So I'll tell you about that next week. But uh, those are your animal holidays for the week. All right. So there you have it, folks. Uh, I wanted to say thank you to everybody who contributed to the episode this week. But before I do, I also wanted to put a message out there to you all. Um, I know I always say to tag me in things and that totally, totally works most of the time. But if I have missed any uh, Zoo News stories from any of you that tagged me, especially on Instagram, I just want to take the time to apologize. Uh, since my videos drumming with Emily have blown up, my notifications are insane. I will literally, you know, get off the app and then be like, oh, wait, I wanted to go see something and jump back in and have a hundred or more new notifications that quickly. It's been nuts. So I've been trying to keep an eye on everything and catch every time that somebody tags me and stuff. 
but if I miss anything, I apologize. And, uh, you know, the video will slow down and it will get back to normal. But yes, if I missed you, I apologize. I also want to say thanks, though, to those that I did not miss or who sent me things in other ways, including Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Kevin Williams, Bridget Kinder, Dan Cohen, Jacob Newman, and Kristen Khalil. Thank you all. I'd also like to say thanks to Lara Shank, my Red Panda level patron, and to Angel Albaran, my newest patron who just joined the team. Welcome, Angel. I'm so excited to have you here. And don't forget that you can support the pod for as little as $3 a month by going to patreon.com slash rossafari. All right, that's really all I have to say this week. So until next week, remember, friends, the words newsy credits backwards are Steiderk Yaswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.